Well, it's three o'clock, and with traffic noise permitting, we're going to start now. So, friends, a very well welcome, a warm welcome to our Aries full moon meditation. And this welcome goes out to all of you around the world who are joining us via Zoom. And at the moment, there are about 88 of you. And it's especially lovely to welcome you at the Lucis Trust here in London in the library. And we're, as you know, gathering together for the first time since the COVID pandemic flew around the world, bringing with it its disruption of human affairs, many personal tragedies, and at the same time, its many beneficent wake-up calls and realizations. It has been so heartening, I think, to yet again have wonderful evidence that when the chips are down, ordinary people step up to the plate and do extraordinary things. As the Tibetan has frequently told us, the heart of humanity is sound. And this is something we must know through our own experience too, as its truth has unfolded before our eyes over the intervening decades in a myriad demonstrations of goodness. COVID, in a way, has been a rerun of the Spanish flu epidemic that raged in 1918 at the end of the First World War, infecting 500 million people, or about a third of the then world's population. The number of deaths from that pandemic is estimated to be at least 50 million worldwide, more than twice the number of fatalities from the fighting. There are a couple of fascinating articles on the Lucis Trust website that explore some of the deeper esoteric ramifications of epidemics, which are well worth reading and thinking about. And the, link, the links are available as an end note, and you'll see them on your screen at the end. From an esoteric point of view, epidemics like COVID can be viewed in part as the reaction of the natural world to the devastation imposed on it by human destructiveness and selfishness. I'm sure it was the truth of this that led the Tibetan to write in esoteric healing. Time alone will demonstrate how successful humanity is in offsetting the penalties which outraged nature is apt to exact. So we need to express a real gratitude, a reminder it has given us all to treat the natural world with more loving respect. Unfortunately, we are collectively still outraging nature in multiple ways. But again, wherever there are problems like, the, like these, such is the beauty of the human spirit that groups spring up all around the world to address them and devise creative ways to mitigate them and plan a path to a better future. This is most certainly happening everywhere in the world now and concerns all the crises that humanity now faces. About 40 years ago, a British Prime Minister said in relation to economics that you cannot buck the market. Well, this is a debatable point. What is certain is that we cannot buck nature. We're discovering we can't override nature. We have to learn 
to lovingly cooperate with us. In fact, in the form particularly of COVID and global warming, nature is now loudly demanding our creative cooperation and from a position of a sobered humility rather than economic, scientific and social arrogance. Actually, the need for this has been known for millennia. For example, biblical commandment to honour thy father and thy mother has, of course, the symbolic and therefore truer meaning that human beings need to acknowledge both spiritual and material polarities or aspects of our nature. Both need to be recognised and honoured if our path of aspiration and service and the details of the plan for our planet are to be fulfilled. Well, to our work today. First, let us have a few moments of silent reflection and attunement, and then we will sound together the mansion of the new world servers, and we will follow this with one boom. May the power of one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May I fulfill my part in the one world. Through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. It is good to remind ourselves that these full moon meditations, and of course the new moon meditations too, are planetary rituals that involve not only those of us who are alive and working and serving in the material world, but they especially involve the graded spiritual groups of enlightened and perfected ones who work upon the inner side of life. And it's our privilege and opportunity to take a conscious part in the act of planetary service. Our work is to become sensitive to this ritualized and consecrated activity and help anchor it in the material planes of thought, of emotion, and right down into the dense physical world. The structure of these great planetary events rhythmically energizes and expands the capable of living light that links the three great planetary centers together into a serving unity. The centers are Shambhala, the focal point of planetary will, 
hierarchy, the veritable vortex of active loving energy with the living Christ at his heart. And humanity, that extraordinary mixture of altruism and selfishness, of love and propensity for cruelty and unnecessary destruction, and whose main gift to the planet is the genius of imaginative creativity. At the times of the full and new moon, these three great energy centers are brought into a conscious alignment through the meditative skills of the people taking part on all the planetary claims, which includes us, of course. Aries is the first of the three major festivals in the spiritual year. Its keynote, which you will be using in the meditation later on, is I come forth and from the plane of mind I rule. It is celebrated by the world Christian community at Easter, the feast of the risen living Christ. The resurrection is a symbolic enactment and demonstration of the fact that when the time is right, the soul dramatically and joyously frees itself from the bonds of the material world as it bursts forth from the tomb of matter. For humanity as a whole, that time is now. Thanks to the events of 2,000 years ago in Palestine, it is becoming gradually easier for humanity to perceive the essential nature of the soul, which is love, joy, creativity, and the will to good. And there is a strengthening desire that this should become manifest in the world. The soul, the Christ within, uses these attributes constantly to make all things new. As aspirants and disciples, we consciously participate in this process in reality. In a world in turmoil, if I am permitted to understate the present situation, we all need to help destroy the chains of a false materialism and selfishness on every level, personal, national, and international. We ourselves need to be risen for humanity and the world as a whole and as much as we can to be risen with healing in our wings. This involves us working as the emerging soul on a mental plane, shining our light in the dark places of negativity there, and there are many of them. We can also help to transmute the astral mess that so many are embroiled in by calming the waters of this sphere of illusion. These can then start to reflect the joy and pure love wisdom of the soul. In this way, we can all help initiate a new cycle for humanity in the outer world of daily living. Today, all the things that are acceptable are thankfully and desperately being brought to the surface, where they can be recognized for what they are, the horrid residue of an imperfect past. It is no longer an option to put off dealing with them. They have to be dealt with and redeemed now. There are many techniques for helping to do this, depending on one's experience and background and specific fields of interest. But all methods involve a conscious awareness and use of the joy 
and love of the liberated soul. We are helped in this right now by the qualities of Aries. Above all, this sign is known for initiating a new cycle of manifestation, which is the birthplace of ideas. I think we can get an idea of the power that this sign embodies and transmits to our planet and our humanity. If we take a step back in history to when Aries governed the age preceding the, uh, the Piscean era from which we are just emerging, the age of Aries began symbolically with the Old Testament story of Abraham and Bram caught in the thicket. And it interestingly culminated in the symbol of the perfect lamb, the Christ, summing up in his outer life the spiritual gains of the period as the then world transiting to Piscean era. He was the good shepherd, and humanity were his sheep. But as the birthplace of ideas, it's good to ask ourselves, what are the hierarchical ideas that Aries in that period gave to humanity? It seems to me that a good candidate for one of them is what historians call the Axel Age. This is a term coined by the 20th century German philosopher Karl Jaspers. It refers to the amazing and apparently unconnected emergence of spiritual and philosophical initiatives all over the world around the middle of the second millennium BC. For example, in the Far East, we have the presence of Lao Tzu and Confucius in the sixth century. In the Middle East in the 7th century, there emerged, emerged the great Hebrew prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. In Greece, there was the appearance of the important school of philosophy that featured the famous names of Pythagoras, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. In India, we see the life and teachings of the Buddha arising out of the crucible of spiritual inquiry that was prevalent there at that time. In Jasper's words, in the Axel age, the spiritual foundations of humanity were laid simultaneously and independently in China, India, Persia, Judea, and Greece. And these are the foundations upon which humanity still subsists today. Now, I'm sure we can see the signature of hierarchy used the opportunity of the age of Aries to gift humanity with something immediately useful and eternally true. These foundations can perhaps best be summed up in what is now known as the golden rule. Do as you would be done by. Treat others as you would like others to treat you. This golden rule finds expression in all spiritual movements and philosophies and is such a simple formulation of spiritual principle that its implications and benefits can be grasped by people of all ages and at every stage of conscious evolution. It's interesting to note that at the end of the 20th century, the leaders of the world's major faiths endorsed the golden rule as part of the 1993 declaration towards a global ethic. But the point to note is that it took nearly 1500 years for this idea to be conceived nurtured, developed, and precipitated in specific locations 
to specific disciples and discipleship groups, and no doubt when the ray configurations were at their most propitious. So what does this tell us about Aries today? That it takes time for ideas to come to birth and usefulness. And we can't expect a new principle or revelation to suddenly and magically appear to help humanity solve its present urgent problems. In fact, all the spiritual principles and intellectual tools that we need to solve these problems are already well known. They've been taught us down the ages till we're blue in the face. They just need to be put into general practice. But what can we expect now? Uh, what we can expect now is to be gifted with the energies of Aries. These will help us to serve in the most effective way we can. Keynotes of the sign of Aries are four in number, all conveying the same idea. And they can be expressed in the following four injunctions. Express the will to be and do. Unfold the power to manifest. Enter into battle for the Lord. Arrive at unity through effort. As we can tell from this, there is a strong component of first-rate energy here. Today in the world, there is already much of the first-rate in its destructive mode, wielded by unredeemed personalities. It's quite clear that humanity in the world, and just as importantly, the great interplanetary centers of love and will, hierarchy and Shambhala, are now facing a major crisis, which it seemed to me in terms of human freedom and spiritual progress, is possibly on a par with the planetary trials of the World War of the last century. Then, through immense pain and suffering, humanity was released onto a new path of international goodwill and freedom, and realistic possibility of increasingly governing human behavior and relationships with the values of the soul. It led to those amazing experiments in global cooperation. Firstly, the League of Nations after the First World War, and of course, the United Nations after the Second World War. These exercises in international cooperation were, and are, initiatives with strong hierarchical backing to lead humanity forward into a world beyond the primacy of nation-states, with its belligerences, its national prides, its expansionist motives of self-aggrandizement. Instead, the idea of a new world order was conceived. Nowadays, this phrase, New World Order, can strike a pill into the hearts of some. It comes to mean a world run by a cabal of financier and multinational conglomerates who want to rule the world through an authoritarian one-world government for their own benefit. Now, this vision is not a New World Order at all. If indeed it really exists and is not just a fearful fantasy, it is actually an old world order, fine-tuned and tailored to suit the selfish demands of the supreme. It is business as usual. It is a tyranny of consumerism. It is slavery to materialism. It is an imposed uniformity that crushes human freedom and the spirit of creativity. 
it will do whatever it can to prevent the real spiritual new world order from coming into being. It represents the very antithesis of the demand by people everywhere for self-responsibility, self-expression, for creativity motivated by the freedom that the spiritual plan of light and of love and of the will to good gifts to us. It might be interesting to see how the Tibetan envisaged a possible new world order as humanity was emerging from the Second World War. Here are a few of his suggestions. He wrote, certain major and spiritual premises should lie back of all efforts to formulate the new world order. The new world order will be founded on the recognition that all people are equal in origin and goal, but that all are at differing stages of evolutionary development. That personal integrity, intelligence, vision and experience to marked goodwill should indicate leadership. The domination by sectarian interests should cease. In the new world order, the governing body in any nation should be composed of those who work for the greatest good of the greatest number and who at the same time offer opportunity to all, seeing to it that the individual is left free. Today, people of vision are achieving recognition thus making possible the choice of leaders. The new world order will be founded on an active sense of responsibility. The rule will be all for one and one for all. Well, this attitude among nations will have to be developed. It's not yet present. But I think we can see sure signs of its emergence in various parts of the world, in the programs of the UN, for example, and in the European experiment. The new world order will not impose a uniform type of government, a synthetic religion, and a system of standardization upon the nations. The sovereign rights of each nation will be recognized, and its peculiar genius, individual trends, and racial qualities will be permitted full expression. One particular only should there be an attempt to produce unity, and that interestingly, is in the field of education. The new world order will recognize that the products of the world, the natural resources of the planet and its riches, belong to no one nation, but should be shared by all. There will be no nations under the category of haves and others under the opposite category. A fair and properly organized distribution of the wheat, the oil, the mineral wealth of the world will be developed based upon the needs of each nation, upon its own internal resources and the requirements of its people. All this will be worked out in relation to the whole. Well, this doesn't show much sign of happening yet. The produce is there, mostly in abundance, but it is traded on the international market and is only available if a country has the cash to buy them. If there is no money, as in Afghanistan at the moment, then there is no food, and something like 23 million people starving. Real need is not yet the criterion for distribution. And here's the Tibetan's final point, in which he builds on the fourth of Roosevelt's four freedoms, freedom from fear. 
In the preparatory period for the New World Order, there will be a steady and regulated disarmament. It will not be optional. No nation will be permitted to produce and organize any equipment for destructive purposes or to infringe the security of any other nation. One of the first tasks of any future peace conference will be to regulate the matter and gradually see to the disarming of the nations. Well, there are really no signs of this even beginning to be held as a serious policy position. Indeed, the reverse seems to be the case right now. But for our encouragement, we know that humanity has the teaching, foresight, the intelligence to deal with all these problems and crises, if it chooses to. The big question is, can humanity express the love and the will to good on a large enough scale to precipitate the necessary radical changes? This is a crucial question. And we can help answer it by what we do in our own lives of spiritual unfoldment. Every step forward that we personally make will help lift humanity that bit nearer to the truth. Our strivings are not just individual, but combine into a powerful, consistent, and eventually irresistible group effort. No matter what is happening in the outer world, the radiance of the inner light that this generates is getting stronger. The demand for justice and right relationships is getting louder. Love is increasingly seen as the power to grow in the inner beings which we truly are. Outwardly, is creating a better world for humanity. Interiorly, these are preparing the way for the peace of the returning living Christ. Now we will go into our meditation together, remembering that this is the day of the full moon itself, and therefore the time of greatest opportunity. Let us seize it all with joy and light and love and power that we can. Let us come forth from the plane of mind and rule with love and freedom. Meditating, letting in the light, group fusion, Let us affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the new group of all servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity. Together we say, I am one 
with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart, the great ashram of Sanat Kumara, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. We extend the line of light towards Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known.
power absolute. As a group, we hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energies streaming into Shambhala, radiated through Haragi. We use the creative imagination to see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, Haragi, and humanity, gradually coming into alignment and interplay.
meditation. You reflect on the seed thought for Aries. I come forth and from the plane of mind I rule.
anticipation. We use the creative imagination to visualize the energies of light, love, and the will for good pouring throughout the planet and becoming active on Earth in prepared physical plane centers through which the planet can manifest. We use the sixfold progression of divine love. Shambhala. Hierarchy. Christ at the center of hierarchy. The new group of world servants. People of goodwill everywhere in the world. And the many physical centers of distribution. We're into <clears throat> As a group, we refocus our consciousness within periphery of the great ashram. Together, we sound the affirmation. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group and throughout the world. And we visualize the downpouring of spiritual infra released from Shambhala through hierarchy and streaming into humanity through the channel we have prepared. Let us consider how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher, the Christ.
distribution. As we sound the great invocation, let us visualize clearly the outpouring of light and love and power from the spiritual hierarchy through the five planetary inlets of London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, and Tokyo, irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and so from the center which we call the race of men let the plan of love and lust work out and may it steal the door where evil dwells let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you all very much, Pierre. And on the other end of the Zoom mechanism, 
Um, the next full moon, of course, is Wesak. And there will be a physical meeting here on Sunday, the 15th of May, at 3 p.m. But the broadcast of the meeting uh, is coming from the New York conference. So that broadcast will take place for us at 8.30 in the evening. And um, so that's it. You've all got information about World Invocation Day and the Arcane School Conference. The conference itself will be a physical one this year, but we're having it here, so space will be very limited. And I think you will have got information uh, to say if you're interested in coming. And then we can find out how many and whether we'll have to take it, that sort of thing. But anyway, back to today. Thank you all very much. Uh, safe journey home through a busy London.